Last Sunday we began a brief series, it's going to be three Sundays, last Sunday, this Sunday, and next, on the church, just to think about who we are as God's people together, to think about our focus as being in Him, how we belong to Him, how we have a place in Him. Last week we started thinking about that upward focus, being in harmony with the one who has called us into His presence. And as we looked in Ephesians chapter 2, we were looking at that passage and understood that in or what the church is is that we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit and as we think about that it's just that sense of having that connection with God and understanding his presence and his grace among us and as we begin I taught you a little uh, a little rhyme to remember do you remember this last week if you were here put your hands together can you fill this in just to be reminded of what the church is, all right? If you learned this as a kid, we relearned it a little bit last week. So I'm going to start us off. Here is a, what did we change it to? A building, all right? A few of you remembered that. Here is a building. It has a tall, okay, very lackluster, very lackluster today. It has a tall steeple. You're too sophisticated for this childish stuff. All right, if you open the doors, what's inside? The church is inside because the church is the people. Oh, that was just, I'm going to cry and go home. My kids are more enthusiastic. One more time, all right? Here is a, it has a tall, the church is, <laughs> the church is, I always forget that second I changed on myself. It's just a simple way of prompting you to think about who we are, right? The church is God drawing us together as his people. And so we thought about that last week. It's that inward focus to understand our place in him and his place in us. And if you take that the next step, which we're going to do today, if it's true that God is creating us to become his dwelling and he dwells within us as, as his spirit, that's going to show up someplace, right? There should be signs of him among us. We should be able to understand God's presence among us. If he's dwelling here as we've gathered as this host of people this morning, if he is making us into his dwelling place, how do we see him? How does God make his manifestation? How does he help us to understand who he is? And that's what we're going to look at this morning, because Paul in Ephesians, as he works his way from chapter 2, where we were last week at the very end, thinking about God being that dwelling place, then moves chapter 3 into chapter 4, where we're going to end up, because he digresses a little bit in chapter 3. In chapter 3, he basically has to do a little bit of work to reestablish himself and his credentials as a servant and as a messenger. And he underlines in this chapter that the Gentiles are indeed heirs together with Israel. You can see this digression if you look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... And then he kind of moves off into something else. And then he comes in chapter 4. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, right? So chapter 3 is this digression. But in the middle of that chapter, there's something I want us to pick up because it's important for our stream of discussion what the church is about. In chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, we read this. He says, although I am the least of all the Lord's people, Paul in his humility, 
the least of all God's people, this grace was given me, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. The mystery he's talking about is that Jew and Gentile are now alike in Christ. We thought about that a bit last week. There's one new man out of the two. And this was a remarkable thought, and he needed to repeat it, that God has brought us all together. And this mystery, which was for ages past, was kept hidden in God, who created all things. And then listen to this. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God's intent that through the church, his wisdom is going to be made known. Not just to us, but to, the, to those rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. There is this great display that is going to be made. Someone said it's a staggering thought that the church on earth is observed, so to speak, by these spiritual powers, and that to the degree the church is spiritually united, it portrays to them the wisdom of God. Did you catch that? That the degree to which the church, Jew and Gentile, are coming alike, that the body of Christ is being created and brought together, being built up in unity to become this dwelling of God, to that degree it is on display that those spiritual forces and rulers and authorities that it's, it's to them that it portrays the very wisdom of God. We are on display. We are on display for the world to see as the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And there is something about us. There's something about the church that identifies God in this world. There's something about you and something about me and us collectively that we become, in a sense, the incarnation of God. We are the body of Christ in this world. And he is on display through us. And so Paul returns to that in chapter 4. That staggering thought of this is who we are. So what is it that we are to be together? So in chapter 4, verse 1, he begins this way. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He urges us, live worthy of this calling. That calling goes back right to what we were talking about. That God has put us on display. That in our unity, in our coming together as the body, as the building, as, as God's temple... As we live worthy, or as we are brought together this way, it's our calling. Paul says, live worthy of it. Live up to that calling. You know, you are the ones who are now the representatives. I, I didn't play a lot of sports in school, but I played a few. And growing up, there was, there was that moment when you put on a uniform. Right? And you put on the school colors, or you put on your team uniform, or you put on... When you get identified in some way as that. And what did the coach always say? That when you're out traveling, right, you're representing the school. Be on your best behavior. Right? Live worthy of the name that's on displayed on you. Paul's saying that to you. Live worthy of the name that is imprinted upon you. 
the name of the holy God, Jesus Christ, the spirit who's dwelling within you. Live worthy of this calling and make known the wisdom of God, his salvation, his hope, and his peace. And as he calls us to live worthy, he begins to unpack that. And how does he say, how do you live worthy? Does he say, stand up and be heard? You know, make, make a noise in the neighborhood. You know, ruffle some feathers. No, look what he says, verse 2. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Keep the unity of the Spirit. This great mystery of chapters 2 and 3 that was being spoken of, that this unity that we are being called into, that we are becoming one in Christ. He says, make every effort to keep that unity alive among us. For he says in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You can't miss that something's going on with this word one in there, can you? I mean, just look how many, how many different ones there are. You know, as he starts talking about it, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith. Why is, he, why is he driving at this? What is it about one? He's calling us to be one. As he calls us to this, he's saying, oh, church, recognize that, that living a life worthy starts with clinging this, to this reality. That the one who is in us and calls us to be one, that this is the one thing that the only one wants us to be. I'll try to repeat that again, because I'm not sure I caught it. <laughs> right? That we need to recognize the reality that the one who is in us calls us to be one, and it's the one thing that the only one wants us to be. We are called to be one. Our unity, our being one is this incredible witness to the world. When you want to think about what the inward focus of the church is, it's dr being driven in this way. That we are called to be together. We're called to live in such a way that our hearts understand unity. That our hearts begin to live and breathe and beat together. To be one as the Lord is one, and as we are called to be one before him. But, verse 7, but, there is something else we need to understand in this. But, he says, look at this, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. We are called to be one, but he's also saying, but we are not the same. You know, we're not called to be identical. We're not called to all just suddenly be shoved into one mold and kind of just get pumped out as the same individuals. It says, no, Christ deals with us individually. In fact, he gives us gifts. 
These spiritual gifts that we've talked about. Dwayne talked about this a little bit back in the fall as we were working our, well, even further than that, through Acts and then through spiritual warfare. So I'm not going to take a lot of time here, but just to understand that the diversity of the body is a wonderful thing to recognize that we are all unique creatures before God and according to who you are, that God uniquely imprints a spiritual gift on you. He makes you useful to his purposes. And this great host of spiritual gifts that is, that is kind of at our disposal for the building up of the body is how Christ and God and the Spirit is at work within us to accomplish his, to accomplish his purpose, to be fitted according to God's pleasure, to serve each other and to help each other. And that really becomes the focus of where we're heading today. Why are we gifted? Why are we called to live together? What is it that, that God wants to see among us? So we'll probably return to some of these themes in the coming weeks because we started kind of a process a while ago talking about the spirit at work in us and talking about spiritual warfare. And what do these gifts look like as they get manifest among us? And how do we encourage each other in these areas? But understand the purpose is that God gives these gifts to each of us as he apportions them to us for his glory and for his purpose and his grace. And so what are these things? What are these purposes that he has for us? Skip down to verse 11 with me. So you go down to 4 and 11 and we read there. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. He gets a little bit more specific. He's going to talk about these kind of gifts of leadership and the oversight. He says very particularly, he's given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Why? To equip God's people for works of service and build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Again, another full and rich statement that Paul gives us about who we are. In these giftings that he's given to the church, the apostles, prophets, the pastors, teachers, evangelists, he says these gifts, these leadership gifts have been given, why? To equip God's people, to make us together ready that we can build up the church, the body of Christ. And why? Look at the very last kind of verse, verse 13. It says that it will continue till we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring to the full and complete standard of Christ. Mature. That's the goal for us. That's the inward focus of the church, is that we are being matured. In a nutshell, it's, it's what each one of us doing as we accomplish our parts, as we stay together and work together. It's so that we can all grow up. Because Paul says it negatively in the verse in the very next verse, in verse 14, he starts off by saying, and then we will be no longer be immature like children. Paul's basically saying, you're all babies. Right? You're all, when you come to Christ, you're all babies and you're immature. And don't be offended by that. 
You know, usually if somebody calls you a baby, we kind of, whoa, what do you mean I'm a baby? Well, you are. And Paul includes himself in this. Look how he says it. When he says that, he says, we will no longer be immature like children. Paul understands for himself, it's where he's been and it's where he's growing out of. But we all find ourselves there. I know I find myself there. And there's too often that I feel myself to be immature spiritually like a, like a child. We're like infants, we're like babies. That's the reality of who we are. We are new creatures. It's called a new birth. I mean, we're not saved into adulthood, right? We're not saved and suddenly we're completely mature. There's this growth process that we need to come through. We're made new and we have to grow into who God has planned us to be. First Peter 2, he puts it this way. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, like newborn babies, Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. We are birthed as babies in salvation and expected to grow. We're expected to grow. There is an expectation that our lives should be maturing and developing. That there should be changes about us as we grow up in our understanding of who God is. And at the heart of these verses, we need to understand that our maturing is not a solitary process. You cannot become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and be birthed into this new birth and expect growth to happen all, as, all on your own. God intentionally brings you into the body so that you in unity are built up and you are helped. That's what those verses says, isn't it? That God's people do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And this is going to continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and the knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. Our work together is to come to unity and faith and our knowledge of Jesus so that we'll all be mature in the Lord. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in his paraphrase. They're called the message. Listen to how he puts these verses. He says that God handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all, and listen to this, moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults. That picture that he paints, that we're moving graciously and gracefully and efficiently, rhythmically moving together in response to who Jesus is among us. And this is our maturing. We're becoming fully developed within and without, fully alive. We're like Christ. What an incredible picture that is of the church. That's when the church becomes this testimony of God's life. That this diverse and incredibly unique gathering of people is able to work together and function in this way. Because we know when groups come together, it is hard to function together. Unique personalities, 
unique giftings, unique talents, unique desires. All of these things come a play among us. But when we're in Christ and we're looking to him, we can have that sense that he's the one who's drawing us together. Tim Keller, as as he was looking at these verses, he said this. He said, even though we have the life of Trinity inside us, even though we have Father, Son, and Spirit dwelling within us, we are being built into his dwelling, we live in spiritual immaturity until we do the hard work of building unity in the body. (laughs) Maturity comes through this hard work of building unity among us. It's who we're called to be. It's the hard work of what it is to gather together as his people. So what's it look like to be immature? What's it look like to be infants? To be babies? Babies are sweet little creatures. Rob and Mary and Medema, I saw them I think this morning. There they are back there. They drop by our house. In fact, Miriam's got to take Joanna out. <laughs> they drop by our house with Joanna. Only two weeks old? December 26th, something like that. Anyway, sweet little thing. I, I like babies. <laughs> right? There's something about taking a baby in your arms. And she's just, she was great that day. She was kind of sleeping. When I got her, she kind of cuddled in. She's making these little baby noises. You know, little she had a little snort going on. Oh, it was just so cuddly. And then she pooped a little. Oh, <laughs> that's a great noise in a baby. It's not so great when you're getting older, right? When you're a baby, what is it about that, right? These these little babies, they're just they're there. They're so entirely dependent. But you know what I'll tell you about babies? They're entirely self-centered, right? And that's immaturity. Immaturity is being self-centered. All she can think about, all a baby thinks about, is itself. It knows what it wants, and it wants it when it wants it. It's totally dependent. It has to, you have to move it, you have to eat it. No, not eat it. You have to, you have to feed it. Wow, if you're eating it, we got all other issues to be talking about. Right? You have to feed it. It's dependent to eat, is what I was trying to say. <laughs> it has to be cleaned. It has to be clothed. Right? It's totally dependent, and that's all it can think about. What's it do? It knows how to cry to let you know what it wants. And so it cries, and it, it kind of makes a noise, and it gets in your face so that you're going to respond to it. But as babies grow, we want them to grow out of some of those things. We want them to start to understand others. We want to, you know, we have to teach kids how to share. We have to teach kids to be aware of people that surround them and how to care and to participate. Be immature is to be self-centered. It's why Paul, back in verse 2, which we read earlier, as he talks to the Ephesians about living a life worthy of the calling, says, and be completely, what, humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. See, there there was immaturity among them. There was self-centeredness. They weren't humble with each other. There was... 
There was pride. They were thinking of themselves. There wasn't patience. There wasn't bearing with other people. They, they were getting on each other's nerves. And Paul says, this is what immaturity looks like, though. You're like infants. What else does he say about these infants? He says, verse 14, And we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Another thing about immature is you're tossed back and forth by the waves. You're not steady. There isn't a steadiness about you. You're, you're, you just you move from one to the other. That's what babies are like. They, they have no attention span. Right? You try to keep a baby happy, it's hard work. Right? There's a lot of... There's a lot of gooing and gawing, and you, and you kind of get the toy, and you shake it for a while, and you get that baby happy for how long? About 10 seconds, right? <laughs> you get a very limited amount of time with all that you're doing, and you've got to go to something else, right? Immaturity, there, there isn't a steadiness. There's no follow-through. And as believers, we're going to be called to follow through. We're going to be called to not be blown back and forth, but to understand a purpose. I read one commentator that says, Christians are called to long obedience in one direction. But yeah, that's a good description of maturity. A long obedience. To understand who it is we're following. That we're following the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is our master and our savior. And we will just follow on with him. But immaturity is when I'm blown back and forth. And I get distracted. And I get bogged down. And sin weighs upon me. Or conflict or dispute. And I'm blown back and forth. But he, he also says, and you're blown here and there by every wind of teaching. The cunning and craftiness of people. You know, babies will eat anything. If you put something before a baby, it doesn't know the difference between good stuff and bad stuff. Even poison. We've got to lock our stuff up in our medicine cabinet. We're having, we're having some problems in the church right now. So many different groups are using the church right now that we're, we're having some problems keeping it clean and how we clean up after. The latest episode was last, last weekend sometime. Someone gave some beautiful big lollipops out to kids. I assume it was kids. Right? Those big thick ones. But you know what happened? A few of them got broken down in our scooters and nursery area. And they got broken into little chunks. And those little chunks got under the carpet. And they got into the toys. And so when our Wendy, our caretaker, came in and was starting to clean up these sticky, gooey little messes. Now, she could have left it, right? But what's the worry? We're going to have some kids coming in. And when they find sticky, gooey stuff in the carpet, what are they going to do? Mmm, right? Let's lick the carpet. Let's get that stuff in our mouth. Let's, right? In the nursery, right? We're, we're working on it. Parents, we're working on it. In fact, parents, you need to help us work on it. Don't give out those big lollipops. But anyway, it's, you know, watch your kids, what they're doing with what we give them. Right? But the, the worry is we know babies will eat anything. There's no discernment. 
That's what immaturity is like. You're not discerning. And man, within the church, immature Christians will eat anything. There's no biblical sense. There's no biblical grounding. There's listening to anything. And, and I mean, that's been multiplied with the internet. You can listen to all kinds of stuff. You just click. You click on a word, you get how many different, how many different topics. And you can start clicking through stuff. And it's so important to be discerning what you're listening to. What are you taking in? Is it good biblical content? Well, how do you know if it is or not? The body will help you. The body, as we come together and as we share and as we study God's word together and as we compare notes, you can grow in your biblical foundation so that you can grow in your discernment. We need each other to help each other keep on track in discussion, in community group, in covenant group, and having people around us that can keep us honest to what we're learning and what we're listening to. It's the body. That accomplishes that together. It's the body which helps us because we are all immature at one time. Well, we all start immature and are growing up out of it. It's where we start. And the, the immaturity that we face, the, the self, the being self-centered and being not steady, not discerning, we need to understand it's here. I heard Tim Keller again speak on this passage and just two observations that he made at this point that I found so helpful. He said this, first, don't be shocked at the immaturity of other believers. Right? It shouldn't surprise us. When we're saved, we're infants, and there is immaturity. And don't be shocked that we are, we are, we are immature and we see that, that coming up among us. Every church is filled with babies at various levels. There are going to be some stinks and some smells that happen among us. And don't be shocked by it. Because when we're saved by grace, we're babies, but we're growing up. We're working together to become who God has designed us to become. So don't be shocked. Be in prayer and consider your part that you can have in it. But the flip side of that is this. But don't you dare put up with spiritual immaturity in yourself. Right? Examine yourself and understand where is your weak spot? Where is your self-centeredness coming out? Where is your impatience? Where is your pride showing up? Where has your lack of discernment been? What is it that you're listening to and thinking that just isn't quite in line with what I'm hearing in other people? I need to examine this and be examined. Don't put up with it because what's in you is the power of Christ. What's in you is being built into this dwelling in which Christ dwells by his spirit. Why would you put up with being an immature believer, when he wants to make you, he wants to fill you with his presence and to have his mind among you. One person said, if, if you're not growing, then you are going backwards. It's the picture if you're riding a bicycle. If you're riding a bicycle, you've got to be moving forward. If you stop, you fall over. 
right? It's the same in our spiritual life. If you're not moving forward, then you're going to stagnate and you're in danger. That's why we need to be asking ourselves questions often. You know, am I moving forward? Am I humbler? Am I happier? Am I more self-controlled? Is there more inner peace than I had last year, a month ago? Do I see God affecting change within my heart? And we're all at different places. We're all at different places in this growth, but we're all called to continue growing. I've walked with the, I've walked with the Lord now over, over 50 years. And I still have to ask myself, where is it I need to grow? Where is it that I need to understand God more? God, show me, open my heart and my mind, because I can act immaturely. Within the church, I can still, I still find myself acting childish. And then I need to understand, I don't want to stay as an infant, but if I'm going to mature, I can't mature just as an individual. God calls us to be together. So what's maturity look like? Does Paul help us out here? I believe he does. Look what he says in verse 13. Verse 13, he says, and this runs together, until we grow in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The more you become one with him and one together, the more you become like with him. Makes sense. If the triune God lives within us and we're being built into his dwelling place, the Father, Son, and Spirit, who lives in eternal perfect relationship. Do you realize that? That the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, live in this eternal, perfect relationship of harmony and communication. Well, shouldn't that be the picture that we have as well? That this perfect relationship and unity and communication. It's why we can't have spiritual maturity and isolation. You can't just drop in and grow. You kind of can't just visit the church and expect it to have an impact. It takes time putting ourselves out there to be there with each other. And we can't be at odds with others in the body. We need to do work to repair things, to forgive each other and to seek out forgiveness, to act in compassion together. For we are called to grow together, called to work it out in grace and to be in love, which is really where the other shoe drops on this. One is the work of being built up and united. But look what he says in verse 15. Verse 15, he says, Instead, instead of being immature, infants, self-centered, unsteady, not, dis- not discerning, instead we are going to speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church, and he makes the whole body fit perfectly together. Remember we talked about being stones, being fitted together? This is God's work among us, to fit us together for his purposes. And how does that happen? As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Another great description of maturity, healthy, growing, full of love. Love is perhaps the defining mark of the church. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus on that night before his crucifixion had his disciples gathered there in that upper room and he washed their feet and he called them together and was showing was that he was a servant for them. 
And he said, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says, your love for each other is going to be this defining mark of my people in this world. Because it's the defining mark of God's hand upon us. There are a whole series of one another's in the New Testament. Of how we should act each, towards each other. This love one another is the most repeated of them all. John, between his gospel and his letters, First and Second John, says it eight times. It's Paul and Romans and Thessalonians. Peter, in his letters, the writer to the Hebrews. Love one another. There's a whole list of other ones, a profitable study. Part of when I was thinking through how we think about this inward focus was maybe we should just study together the one another. So I was looking them all up. It's a great list, a good study if you ever want to go through them sometime. Just consider and reflect on what is it that we are to be to one another. We're to wash one another's feet. That's a whole demonstration that Christ gave. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Stop judging one another. You can look your way down that list. Right? All these ways, the variety of, of, of ways that we are to treat each other and deal with each other, to, to encourage each other. It's what we are to be to one another within the body. And as you look at these, it's all what we are to be seeing that we are giving to others. We're called to do this. Because sometimes we can get into the immature thing of saying, you know, but nobody's doing this for me. It's not what we're called to. We're called to how we act to one another. And the reciprocation within the body, we, we understand his presence and how this happens. But this idea of loving one another probably sums them all up. You know, if you wanted to put one big title over the whole thing, it's just love one another. But Paul, in, these, in this passage today, he says it a little differently. He says the little phrase, and speak the truth in love. And speak the truth in love. It probably catches the key stumbling block. <laughs> The key attitude, the key motive that we have to have. Speak the truth in love. In our collective journey, in coming to such a unity and faith and knowledge of God's Son that we're going to be mature in the Lord, if we're going to measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ, recognize that we're immature children, we will instead, he says... Speak the truth in love to each other. For this is the heart of our immaturity. When we can overcome, this will be, we will be growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Speak the truth in love. Why? In verse 16, he says, For he makes the whole body fit perfectly together, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Speak the truth in love so that the whole body will be healthy and growing and full of love. It will only happen 
when we can learn to speak the truth to each other in love, to be honest with each other. Be honest and speak truth, but only in the context of this deep, convicting, supporting love. Wow, what's maturity look like? There it is. To be able to speak the truth in love. See, love without truth is deadly. It doesn't help me grow. It can be warm. It can make me feel kind of warm and fuzzy because you've spoken love to me. But if there isn't truth, it's not really going to help me in any way to understand my flaws and where, my, where I need to grow and where needs, things need to be shaped within me. See, I can't really know myself without outside observation. I need brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to speak the truth into my life and help guide me in the truth so that I can understand who I am. Have you ever listened to yourself on a tape recorder? Videos? Sorry, I'm that old. Tape recorders were my thing growing up. I remember the first time I heard myself on the tape recorder. We were kids, and my, my dad brought home a reel-to-reel tape. <laughs> right? But it still goes on. In seminary, when I was in seminary, we had to videotape ourselves preaching so that then we could analyze it later. I remember watching the, the tape of myself, and as I watched it, my comment was, there's something wrong with the sound. <laughs> right? There was something off about the sound, because my, my voice kind of sounded tinny and kind of a little bit whiny, a little gravelly at time. And the class all said, oh no, that's how you sound. <laughs> Greatly encouraging. Say, <laughs> so what's the problem in that? I don't really hear myself, right? How do you hear yourself? You hear yourself you're, through your vocal. It comes up through the bones in your head to your ear. You don't really hear yourself the way everybody else hears yourself. I need outside observation. Well, how many areas of my life are like that? Where I don't really get a good sense of who I am unless somebody's willing to speak truth to me. Right? So love without truth can be deadly. But wow, truth without love? Ooh, that can be deadly as well. Why? Because... If I tell people the truth and I'm abrasive or cold, people just won't listen. What happens when that comes at me? When truth comes and it's not in love, I get my back up, right? I get protective. I don't want to hear those kind of things because I, I know better. It's not who I am. Truth without love never accomplishes truth. Love without truth never accomplishes love. We need to speak the truth in love. Without love and truth together, we wither up and we aren't going to be able to grow. You know what the problem is? None of us can really accomplish it. None of us is fully capable of keeping those two in balance. We all have a bent in one direction or the other. And our selfishness and our sin only magnify it. Some of us are more loving in nature. We have a softer approach towards people. Some of us are more direct in nature. 
Some of us have more a sense of identifying issues and identifying truth. We can be a little more blunt. And why are those of us who are more loving not as apt to tell the truth? Because there's fear. See, if I tell the truth, someone might be mad at me. Or I might hurt them in some way. And I don't want them to be hurt. I don't want them to get mad at me because then I'll feel bad. I might feel the guilt. So what's really happening in this is my love really comes back on me and my selfishness. It's my pride that gets in the way, my fear, my own insecurities. So I'll just be loving and I won't get into the truth with you because it protects me. Why are those who are better at telling the truth but without loving do it? You know, what's the motivation? Sometimes when you're telling the truth to somebody, it's because you love to be right. You love to win. You know, you love to, to just cut somebody down far enough that you know you're still on top and in control. To win the argument. And basically, it's our selfishness. It's our protective nature that comes out. It keeps me safe. <laughs> right? If I can just be there and I know that I, I still have the upper hand. If you tell the truth without loving, it's because you're concerned about self. If you love without being truthful, it's because you're concerned, ultimately, about self. Because of our sin, nobody's capable, really, of mixing love and truth in the way that, that we need, and that's awful for us. <laughs> it's a terrible thing. How are we going to spiritually grow with receiving truth and love, but we're not capable of giving it to each other? What's the solution? I hope you know what's coming. What's the gospel? The gospel is Jesus. Jesus, who speaks the truth in perfect love. He's the perfect balance of truth and love. The truth is, we are sinners condemned for eternity outside of the cross. And it's the worst truth that could ever be laid on you, is who you are before a holy God. But he's able to give that to us. Why? Because his perfect gift of love is, and I will die for you. I give myself so that you will fully understand who I am. You see, it's in the gospel that we have any hope at all of speaking the truth in love. Why? Because I can realize how sinful I am. I can realize the awful truth, but also understand how great his love is for me. And so it tempers that nature where I just want to be loving and protect myself. But it says, no, the truth is a good thing. The truth is what helps me grow. The truth is that which draws me out and brings me into the presence of God. And I will be able to speak the truth to others when I'd rather just be loving towards them. Why? Because I understand that it's the truth that will, that or, or, yeah, anyway, just confused myself. <laughs> Right? It's understanding who we are in Christ together. And when I fully appreciate who I am in Him, then I am able to speak with His voice into the lives of others. Oh, there's going to be ups and downs in it. Because I still have immaturity about me. But remember what we said earlier? 
Let's not be shocked that immaturity comes up every once in a while. But never put up with it in yourself. This is who we're called to be together. To be a people who speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church, who makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Andrew, you guys come on back up as we just finish off here. You see, as each part does its work in this, in this great orchestration that God has called us be together, at the heart of it is to have a heart of love for each other that we might grow up together and to do the hard work of building unity, which is speaking the truth in love. To be asking ourselves, is God doing his work in me so that I know that I'm growing? Because if I'm growing, then I can help someone else to grow. And this is where the body comes together and fits together in ways that we are able to understand finally that we serve the head who is Christ and as his body we come together. As we sing the next song, I just invite you to think for a couple of minutes and then we're going to pray. Just to think in ways God's Spirit might be calling you today. That what it is that you need to be prepared to confess before him and even look in the body and say, Lord, where is it that I need to engage? God, where is it that I need to be engaged? Let's sing together.